Oh, the sermon? I'll have to go home and write it. <laughs> All right. The title of the sermon is Climbing the Mountain. And uh, I chose the title because, as many of you know, um, Dr. King was a great fan of... Uh, Patricia has to help me when I can't think of words. Um, the, fam the famous uh, Indian... Uh, Gandhi, of course, Gandhi. And... Uh, Climbing the mountain was a very important image for him, as it is throughout the East, because uh, everybody's on a different track, and everybody's climbing. Nobody quite knows where the rest of them are, uh, and uh, we never quite get there, but we're all trying, and so, I hope by the end of the sermon it will be obvious why I chose it. In 1965, when I was a graduate student in the Divinity School at the University of Chicago, the Student Association planned and held a two-day concert uh, entitled, What is the Ought in Race? What is the ought in race. It's a big question. Now some of the faculty, even some of the students, uh, thought that the oughts were quite clear. They said the problems are, of course, political power and uh, public will. But we who were planning the conference, which included uh, Betty's dear husband, he and, he and I were working together on this conference, uh, we thought different. We thought there was something deeper. What is the ought in race? The speakers at the conference uh, were faculty members from the university. They were civil rights leaders and writers from the Chicago area, and the conference unfolded uh, as issues became more obvious and the clarity, which some had thought was a simple matter, virtually disappeared. The matter of, excuse me, I'm having a little trouble with the light here. so. I'm just going to hold this, if that's all right with you. Oh, oh, we have a light up here. Great. Oh, thank you. The matter of ought in race uh, was highly problematic, and the title of the conference uh, soon was vindicated. The challenges quickly proved to be much deeper than expected. By the end of the conference, 
it was clear to most of us that the aughts were much deeper than any of us had ever imagined. And that still is true. That was 1952, if you can believe that. We were very young. Three years after the conference, Martin Luther King Jr., whom many of us had followed closely, was killed. Already before King's death, the racial situation was changing rapidly in the country and was, it was his role in the black community and his ability to bring black people together in common endeavor. Anger and danger were heightening. Men, women, and children uh, were killed. And uh, fear was widespread. Together, in common, black power began to exert itself and became a competing uh, force in the country. Black power became a major movement and for many uh, resentment and, and suspicion toward whites, uh, even whites who considered themselves part of the freedom movement. King had believed from the beginning in the middle of the 1950s that movement should encompass both blacks and whites working together, that integration should be the path toward uh, uh, peace and common good. Serious challenges emerged between King and other black leaders. From early in the movement, King took strong interest in the values of Gandhi's uh, representations in India, the path of nonviolence uh, and values. He recognized the depth and the frustration among many black people, but whereas some felt that physical force was needed to confront racism, that King continued to maintain that the moral force was stronger than the physical force. He insisted on that. And King, a son of the church, a doctor of theology, a believer in God, and a person who turned often to prayer, kept moving on and never stepped away from nonviolence. Never. Not through the entire 12 years. But whereas some people felt that physical force was needed to confront racism, King continued 
to maintain that moral force was stronger than physical force. Black leaders who were more militant than King began to undermine King's public following by painting him as a moderate and even as a supporter of white interests, even though those white people might consider themselves uh, champions of peace. That was all happening before the death of King, and he himself was changing as he began to uh, talk about interreligious between racism and the serious issues such as poverty, hunger, militarism. While that vision was obviously correct, those who were concerned mainly about rejection felt King's office was losing focus and power. That is how things stood at the time of King's death. The force of his leadership was under attack even among black leaders and followers who were impatient and more militant than he was. The civil rights movement that King had guided from 1955 to 1968, leaving many questions wide open. The movement was crippled by his death, then it would have gone uh, we don't know what direction. The 12 years had been abruptly unique in American history. There has never been anything quite like it any other time. In 1968, shortly after King's death, the General Assembly of Unitarian Universalists was holding a uh, conference in Cleveland and became, it became a scene of tension and conflict about the very nature of Unitarian Universalism. A group called Black Affairs Council and a related group called Black uh, Unitarian Universalist uh, whatever it is, uh, petitioned the UUA for a million dollars to fund uh, work for black people uh, in the movement, in the Unitarian movement. That was looked upon as a black power group which asked to have the million dollars free of dictates so that the empowerment of blacks could be done uh, without having to answer to Unitarian Universalists uh, themselves. Opposed to them was a group which wanted a program for a uh, rare issue in the UUA which would bring black and white people together in the way of sharing 
That group was named Black and White Action, or in short, it was B-A-W-A, Bawa. Bawa was immediately labeled as a courageous uh, bourgeois. Uh, and uh, the, the fight was really on within our denomination. The issue came to vote and promises were made to grant money to uh, back Buck, which was the, uh, the strong uh, group that wanted to have the money without any uh, control over it, and to carry on a program uh, for black people within the movement, not under control of the UUA, but going by the UU name. Most leaders left, many leaders, uh, left the General Assembly uh, feeling, you know, cautiously pleased about what had happened, that they could now have the money and uh, use it uh, for the purposes that they had had in mind. For the next five years, that issue tore the UUA apart. How many of you were active UUs at that time? Yes, only a few of you. So some of you will find this maybe new news, okay? But it happened, and it was very painful. In the end, the UUA, in serious financial trouble, rescinded its promise to pay the rest of the money, voting not to grant the entire bulk of money to back buck. The resulting stress in Unitarian Universalism went off the charts. The debates which led to the final resolutions uh, eroded much of the energy that had been in the denomination for dealing with race at all. 1974 and 75, there was a program for dealing with race. In the meantime, uh, many blacks in the UU who had been hopeful uh, about the gift of money and the help from the denomination uh, felt very disappointed and often left the denomination. Anyone with historical sense recognized that the UUA was experiencing some sort of happening in American life uh, in 68 and 73. It was a very difficult time in the nation. We all know that. The U.S. became involved in Vietnam. Rights of women and gays replaced uh, other issues that had been very important. The UUA became involved in national issues and the economy struggled. Churches became involved and uh, uh, there was an attempt just to save the churches and to save the UUA itself. The times were hard. They were very hard. Race is still hard in this country and not only in this country but as we now know all around the world. These issues become more intense, not less. 
there are more students of, of uh, color, of course, going to college, doing well, and making places for themselves uh, than ever there was in the 1970s. But there are still issues. Racism is still among us. We live in Massachusetts. It's not so visible here. It's a little hard to understand how deep it really can be in other places. But there are places in this country where persons of color have fewer uh, privileges and rights, where rights enjoyed by whites are not available to persons of color, where white children will have more privileges and options. And security for black people is never quite certain. For others, there are few. Many people of color living on the edges. For those of us who think about the underprivileged, there are many in need, many who are not taken care of adequately, some people of color, others are not. For churches, that belief is equal. For people in need, there is still much to do, and there are many things uh, that need to be done. That is unmistakably true and more common, I think, as most of us really know. Dr. King was more than a black minister. He was much more than a black minister. He was a brilliant, trained theologian who was the son and grandson and great-grandson of highly regarded black clergy. He graduated from high school at age 15, from uh, Morehouse College at age 19, from Theological Seminary in Pennsylvania at age 22, and as a trained doctor of theologian from Boston University at age 26. Now, most of us who've gone through all those steps know it's almost impossible in that short period of time. The same year, he became leader of the civil rights movement, 26 years old. From the beginning to the end of the movement, he lived a life of courage, of leadership, and strong will. Very few have ever seen anyone whose courage was so impressive. Even uh, with the stress, he never turned away from nonviolence. The same was true for those persons who stood with him through the movement for 12 years. Those closest to him knew that he was a person of strength and, and that he also lived a life of intense prayer. His programs were different from many of his elders. 
After all, he was highly trained in theology. He had trained at fine schools. He knew theology and some of which he tried and learned uh, across uh, his life. He came over to Harvard, actually, even when he was at the University of uh, uh, across the street, across the uh, river, I should say, um, to work in theology and philosophy. And here studied Paul Tillich. Paul Tillich, the person he finally wrote his dissertation about. He carried that wisdom with him throughout the movement. We only have to read his speeches, his sermons, and the writings that he has done. But he had something that theologians do not always have, a deep, lifelong uh, experience in worship and prayer. King was a man of prayer. He began preaching in his father's church at age 14, quite young. He was known by his closest partners and listened carefully to them. He was a good listener. Then he would often go into a room by himself, close the door behind him, and spend time in prayer. When he returned, his decisions were often clear to him and made, and he was ready to move. And his friends who were so loyal to him were ready to go with him. His prayers were not the same as those who had taught him as he grew up, especially his father, but they were very loyal to him as well, and they understood that he had a different education uh, than they did, and they were willing to trust him from the very beginning of the movement to the very end. Few of us have ever seen a person of greater com uh, composure under great danger. In the last weeks and months under great stress, he knew his time was near. He had known that actually for several years. But exhausted as he was, he would say to the crowds around him, I may not get there with you, but we as a people will get there. That was his faith, a faith that he never let go. That was his firm belief. He lived it. King's insertion uh, and dissertation at Boston University had been about the famous Paul Tillich. Tillich had written, faith is being ultimately concerned, ultimately concern. If something demands total surrender, other claims have to be subjected to it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is what ultimate concern means, what faith means. King, I believe, was a person of enormous faith, of what Tillich calls ultimate 
concern. Tillich wrote, in a total and centered act of personal self. When he finished his dissertation at age 26 and went south to become the leader of the civil rights movement, that vision of faith was clear to him and he held to it as he climbed the mountain, finally to reach an explanation for the title of the sermon. 